Um, you know what? It's no big deal. I'll just throw the garbage right there and uh, probably just dump it in the baptismal afterwards anyway. Was, you know, no one will notice until we have a baptism. We've got a few people ready, so uh, we'll see what happens. But till then, it'll probably be fine, right? I mean, there's just a little bit of food. It's no big deal. You guys think that's a good strategy? Yes? I'm seeing a lot of nods. No? No? Why? He's like, isn't this a monologue? What, it was, what are we doing here? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Yes. Eventually, that stink will kind of permeate the room. And none of you will want to come back to church <clears throat> if we don't deal with the garbage. And so that is kind of like what we're talking about tonight with Lamentations chapter 2. And that is facing our loss, Right? And sometimes we can avoid it, whatever we have lost. And we're not just talking about huge loss like we're going to see in Lamentations, but even the little losses or medium-sized ones in our life, we sometimes try to avoid or just put it away and not deal with it, and it always ends up permeating our life. And so what we have been given is a beautiful gift from God in the Bible. Lamentations is a tool in order to deal with how do we face our loss with God, right? So let's pray as we go to his word, and I will throw the garbage out later, maybe after tomorrow, okay? Let's pray. Father, I, I do thank you that um, you've brought us here tonight. Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for me, for each and every soul, young and not so young, in the room tonight. And I pray that you would... Um, do your work that only you can do as we look at Lamentations. And Lord, it's a book that we don't often look at for good reason. It's, it's, it's hard to look at. But God, it teaches us so much. And I pray that you will not leave here, let us leave here tonight the same. That you will move in some area, some loss or some, even just learning again, how do we lament to you appropriately? How do we face the things that we go through with you and not avoid them. And so, God, <clears throat> do your work through your Holy Spirit in our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so, uh, we began last week with uh, Lamentations chapter 1. So, if you have your Bibles, we'll put it on the screen again this week, but I can't stand to have things in my pocket, so put that over there. Uh, We'll put it on the screen uh, uh, like we did last week, but if you have your Bibles, it's Lamentations chapter 2. So, uh, really difficult, right? And um, <clears throat> so, we, we, just to kind of remind you, I won't go through all that we went through last week, but to remind you that the author or the poet is technically anonymous. Some throughout history thought he was Jeremiah the prophet. If, if it was, maybe, but it was a contemporary of him. So, it was, he lived in that time period. Um, most likely sometime after 587 B.C., which was when that culmination of the Babylonians coming to Judah and destroying Jerusalem and, and taking their temple and their people in exile, right? And remember, as we talked about last week, is God had uh, warned them for generations, even if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, when God gave the law to Moses, he said, look, we have this covenant. I'm your God, you're my people, you will obey my law. But if you do not, right, I will, he actually said, 
I will judge you and scatter you among the nations. And, and so it was warned from day one, but God is so patient throughout the generations of rebellion and sin, and finally, finally, Babylon was, through ne- King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they were the tool that God used to come to town. Uh, an 18-month siege, and finally they crash through the walls, destroy everything, all the soldiers, lots of people in exile. So there's this desolate city, right? The city of God, right? The, the place where where should always be safe, the temple, God's presence. And, and here they're left in mourning, desolate and just no one here, very few people left. And what do we do, right? Tremendous loss. And the, and the, the first um, poem, first lament, was really with the theme of, of confession, right? Saying, as hard as this is, you are right, God, and we are wrong. So if you were with us last week, you, you remember that. It's, it, it, there was all this, it's really hard, but, man, it's, it's our fault that it's hard. We've sinned, and then look at us again in forgiveness and, and, and grace. So the second lament is actually not going to have as much the theme of confession, but more describing that loss. And remember, these are acrostic poems, so that just means every verse starts with the next letter, except it was written in Hebrew, so we don't see it in English. Right? It's not A to Z. It was their 22 Hebrew letters. Um, and so, uh, that, so these are beautiful poems meant to feel. Okay, And as we're about to, to launch into it, we're going to kind of go through it rather quickly um, with some explanation of what's going on here. But just so you can sort of know the order of this, the first ten verses are third person. So the poet is sort of describing what God has done. Through Babylon, yes, but this has been God and, and really gets graphic. You thought it was graphic last week. It gets even more graphic. Like, uh, this is what the Lord has done. And then just settles on that. And then the poet goes into the first person. And so we started saying, this is how I feel about seeing all of this. And then at the very end, the city again of Jerusalem personified, but really the people of the city and the poem begin to cry out to God, but in a way that is really heavy and almost like, can you say that to God, right? And that's what we're going to learn. Yes, you can. All right, so let's dive into it together. Uh, This is how it begins. He says, how the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion, remember Zion's another name for Jerusalem, under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The image of this storm cloud of God's wrath and judgment and Throughout the Old Testament, you see God always remembers his people. But here, he doesn't remember them, right? He, they're no longer. What is the loss here? We're, we at least feel like, right? In this moment, we're not your people. The Lord has stopped remembering us as his chosen people. We're no longer favored from him, right? Verse 2, the Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the uh, habitations of Jacob and the wrath he's broken down, the strongholds of his daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. So again, the poem just kind of, you can almost feel it, down, down to the ground, right? This, they've just, everything is brought down and, and again, their privileged position of God's people has come crashing to the earth, at least from the, the 
writer's perspective. He has cut down in a fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe, and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. And so you see again the anger of God, but that idea of the right hand. In the, in the Old Testament, the right hand of God is his favor and his protection and his power, right? So his power to protect his people. He has actually withdrawn that from them, right? Now the enemies have come and they're scattered and destroyed. And instead, God here is a warrior, and instead of fighting on their behalf, he has actually fought against them. It's all been reversed. Verse 5, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He's laid in ruins, its strongholds. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lamentation. So what's the loss here? Land, palaces, walls, strongholds, all the things they thought we'd never lose. No matter what happens, we'll be at least this strong because God is there. God is present. And yet they had been warned and warned and now they look to God and, they, and, they, and the poet just says, all of it is gone. All of it. Verse 6, he has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. That, verse, that very first line is a tough English translation. It's basically saying the temple has become like a little shed in the garden, flimsy and destroyed and torn down. And, and so gone is, a, is the meeting place. Like this is where we, we meet God. Like that's never going to go away. Well, now it's gone. It's destroyed. Babylon has violated it. This is what the Lord has done. Right? The priests are gone. The king's gone. Our, our holidays, our festivals, our Sabbath, everything that we, we thought was everything has been taken down. I mean, this is, it, 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 you can see, man, this is teaching us how to lament. Verse 7, the Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the land of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. So, Comparing a day of fast festival for when the Babylonians came, right? A kind of contrasting experience there. But he's saying that the Lord has even scorned his altar in his sanctuary, the holy of holies. But always the poet is making sure we know that this is the Lord who has done this. Verse 8. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out his measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He uh, caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. So this shows that this was a precise plan from God. This wasn't some just out of control rage where he just wishes he hadn't done it. He had warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. And now he has planned out this judgment. In verse 9, he continues, the gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. See all the loss. Gates are gone. These, these walls that we were so proud of are gone. 
right? The, the, the law itself is God. I mean, is it? No, it's not, right? The law is not actually gone. But this is how they feel. What's the point? We're gone. The, the temple's gone. The sanctuary's gone. The, the law's gone. Our, our covenant is gone, right? The, 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 the priest, there's no vision from the prophets, everything. And this is, the, the, again, as we will see, not every prayer that you have when you lament to God is going to be theologically correct, Right? They're going to be feelings that you feel this way. You've completely abandoned me, God. Why? And even though he may not have, it feels that way, and so you tell him that way. And so it, um, it, it ends, this section ends with verse 10, where this is just sort of the culmination of all this loss. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. And that's just the scene, right? It's the elders that, to the young women. That means just everybody who's left is literally in stunned grief. Those are all things you would do when you were grieving, sackcloth and ashes. But the biggest thing is just silence. Just You picture them. Have you ever been just so stunned in some loss that you don't know what to do? You just sit there. And this is how he describes it. The Lord has done all of this. And we got nothing to say because what can we say? We have nothing to do because what can we do? And that's the scene. And, and, and I want you to picture the, the poet sort of is, is, is writing, but he's looking out at the scene and these people stunned in silence. And now he just bursts forth in his own first-person point of view. Like this is kind of what, what he's experiencing. He says, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. So even the children, right? When we see the, the, the promise of the renewed kingdom, it's always characterized with children playing and singing, right? This is the opposite. These children are fainting from hunger. And, and, and you just see the, the, the poet just like so distraught by all of this that he even vomits onto the ground. You can't get more graphic than that, right? As he looks and he experiences this, they cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. When can I, what can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? It's like he's looking at this desperate scene. They're stunned in silence. He's throwing up bile because he's so upset. And then he just like looks at him. He says, I wish I could comfort you, but I got nothing. Like, what can I do? I, I don't know anything to say to you to comfort you. You've probably been in that place if you're old enough where you know someone who has such loss that all you do is just there because what can you say? That's how he feels. I don't know what to say. In verse 14, your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. 
he sort of blames. He's like, if you had listened to the real prophets and not the false ones. All who pass along the way, this is going to sound familiar to last week's, the first one, clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city, quotes, that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth, all your enemies? Can you, I'm stuck, can you, oh, I've got it now. All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry. We have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it, we see it. I don't think there's enough hissing when you're mad at someone, do you? Like, bring that back. But just picture this. They're in stunned silence and they're enemies. They're not helping, they're clapping, they're applauding, they're saying, ah, yeah, and they're even taking credit for it. I'm sure that's mostly the Babylonians because they think we did this, but they didn't. The Lord used them to do it to his own people in judgment. Verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. For the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Right? So finally the, the poet is like, he, 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 remember he's describing what the Lord has done. They're in stunned silence. And then he first person point of view starts saying, I don't even know what to say, how to comfort you, right? But finally he turns and what does he say? It says, cry out to the Lord. Like, just pour yourself out. I know you're desperate, and I know you don't feel God, and I know you're not sure where God is gone, and you feel abandoned by God. It makes sense, but all your only recourse is to cry out to God. Lift your hands to him before his presence, right? So he's pleading with them. They're in silence, right? And he's pleading with the city. Pray, lament, go to God, even in this most desperate time. And then verse 20 the city finally speaks. Look, O Lord, and see. Remember that from last week. See us. With whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb? The children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? This is their prayer. It's too much, God. See us. We know you, you did this, and we know we've sinned, but this is too much. It describes literally such starvation that apparently mothers had eaten their own children. This is as graphic as it gets, right? This is in the Bible, huh? Because it happened. When uh, I got a text this past week from Brian who was playing the music, and he's like, look, there's no worship songs about mothers eating their children. So I'm just going to focus on the hope of Jesus. Is that okay? I said, yeah, it's fine. That's where we'll land anyway. But they're so distraught. This is what's happening. This is real, right? Not only that, but the priests had thought when Babylon came, like, well, if we go to the temple, God will help us. And they came into the temple, and they slaughtered the priests right there. And, that, and so that's what the city says to God. Really? This? This loss? This much? 
How can it be? And, and, and they continue that lament. In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and the young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. He's saying this to God. Right? You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. I love that. As if we're having a big festival, God. You gave me every terror. Right? Everything that we are afraid of came to parade around us. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. Amen. <laughs> That's the prayer. Remember we said, don't ever, you want to always read Lamentations within the context of all of Scripture because this is facing their loss honestly with God. He's got big, holy shoulders. He can handle it. Because this is how they felt. This was their perspective. This is what they were going through. This was their loss. This wasn't a time to say empty religious phrases. Like, why? That's all they had for God. And it was enough. Because as we'll see next week, Lamentations 3, the theme is great is thy faithfulness. Eventually you get there, but you got to start here. You can't fake it over there if you're not there. you got to start here. you got to give it to God. You can't avoid it. you got to give it to him, right? So as, as we look at this, how do we put this into a context of our own loss? And the first uh, point that I'd want us to, to see is that loss is inevitable. It just is, right? It's inevitable. Uh, it's obviously in this uh, uh, second chapter of Lamentations, it's incredibly graphic and tragic and horrible. Not all losses are that big. There's small ones and medium ones, but if you live, you have loss, right? If you don't have any loss, it means you haven't loved anything or anybody. And so that's not good. It's not how God wants us to live. So you're going to have loss. In fact, I'll bet we even have kids here. I'll bet you've already experienced some loss. I hope it's not huge. Maybe it is, but maybe you've lost a grandparent or maybe you've lost a pet. Or maybe you've lost a good friend who moved away, or right? It starts then, and, 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 and you pile them up. And it's the, the, the longer we go through life, we have losses, right? If, if you um, compared losses in your life to, say, like holes or divots, depending on the size of that loss, what would we look at the older we get? You know, the little divots your cars get when you drive and the gravel on the road spits up, and you really don't see it unless you look really closely. Some of you guys do, I know. Gotta wax that out, right? But it's there. It's that little divot. You're like, you have that brand new car. You're like, oh, right? But once the car's been driven for five years, you don't care as long as no one smashes into you, destroys your engine. But in that new car, right? And that's how life is. Those little tiny losses. Sometimes they're even good, healthy losses, right? But they still are losses that we have to face. They're inevitable. There's, there's the medium-sized losses. Again, bigger ones, ones that are more impactful to us. And then there's just the gaping craters of the huge, huge losses that can happen to us. And the longer we go in life, the more they pile up. Imagine if, they could, if we could put on glasses and see each other like that, all the holes and divots of our losses. What would we look like? We'd need a lot of makeup, wouldn't we? I, I had uh, an awesome time, was it last week? Or the week maybe it was the week before. Um, 
I went to visit Bob Taylor. A lot of you might know Bob. He hasn't been to church since COVID happened because he's in his 90s, and that's not a good idea right now. And I hadn't seen him since then. So, you know, we social distance and had mass because I like to visit him here and there, and he just tells such great stories. Usually stories because the longer you live also, the amount of blessings you have too. Right, good stories, fun stories, interesting, amazing kinds of things. He's just lived a long time. But I thought about that. It's like if I could have put those glasses on and saw Bob, who's a handsome man, if I, if, I, if I could see him with those glasses, how many holes? I mean, he's lost a daughter. He's lost a wife. He's lost his parents. He's lo- right, and so much more, not just grief of people, but jobs and situations and friends and right? those, those things that happen throughout life. The older we get, it's inevitable, right? It's inevitable that you are not going to, um, to, to avoid it. And right now, corporately, we all are going through loss. All of us. Small, medium, large, I don't know. We're sharing just like, that's what's great about this. It's what makes this a little bit different than Job. Job's a personal lament, which we can have as well. But Lamentations is corporate lament. We're all kind of, in one way or another, experience what's happening right now. And so we, we look to God because of it, right? And it's inevitable to have this kind of loss. And so the question becomes, what do we do about our loss? Because it's inevitable. Like, you, you know, so we can, we can do a couple things, right? We can take, like I did with the garbage, and we can take our loss and, and, and try to run from it and avoid it. But as we already said, that, that doesn't happen very well. You know, the, the whole religious system of Buddhism is based on that. A lot of people don't know that. It's very Buddhism and the spiritual practices that come out of that. Uh, are very prominent and even in our culture right now. People love the idea of detachment because that's what it is. Um, That's what nirvana is, actually. Buddha, if you know his history, he was a Hindu, and he actually um, had tremendous suffering in his young life. And so his journey was to just escape it. And so that's what led him to meditation and detaching. And the idea is, if I can completely detach from myself, I won't suffer anymore, right? Except that's not how God made us, is it? It's maybe a respite for a second, right? You can breathe. But in the end, it, it, it follows you. Loss travels. Grief will come. It will show. And maybe it's like, I'm not sure what that is, right? But it will come out in your relationships if you don't deal with it in the right way, right? You can't avoid it. That's not the way to deal with your loss. Because, because we are made to press in. We are made to uh, love people. We are made to do that, which is going to mean loss. So how do we deal with it? So we can avoid it. We can try to run and escape it, right? We talked a little bit about this last week, which is when we numb the pain with uh, all kinds of things, like just, just numb it, just, just go into something so I don't have to think about my loss and think about my pain and drugs and alcohol and pornography and surface relationships and all that kind of stuff is just numbing the pain because we haven't actually faced what we have lost in the right way, right? Sometimes we do this, especially the older we get. We've experienced loss. I don't want that again, right? I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. Even a, a really small example, uh, almost a year ago, we, you guys, most of you know this, we lost our two dogs, Moose and Coco, and I used to talk a lot about them. And every time, that's our third dog that we've lost, every time I say to Heather, I, I'm, I can't, it's not worth it <laughs> to have a dog to feel this grief. 
Like he was part of, they're part of your family, and yes, they drive you crazy, but they're like, they're there all the time, and then they're gone, and it's hard. It's not like a person, because a person stays with you forever, but initially, many of you have lost pets, and, 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 and so I said, forget it, it's not worth it, but is that true? I don't think it actually is true. To, to give up all of the blessings with whatever it is, a person, a relationship, Right, a, 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 a risk in something that might mean loss to avoid it and let's just sit in our basements and, and watch Netflix for the rest of our life. That's not how God wired us. He wired us to risk, to get out there, but that sometimes we recede because we're so tired of loss because we haven't faced it. And God says, no, 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 you're going to experience loss, but you need to face it the right way, right? And, and so what do we do about our loss? We Face our loss with God. There's two aspects to that. you got to face it. Can't avoid it. Can't run from it. Can't numb it. Got to face it. But people try to face their loss in all kinds of ways. And I'm not saying they can't be somewhat helpful to see a counselor or, or uh, you know, sit with a friend or those kinds of things. I think God uses some of those things. But in the end, if we don't face it with God, it's not facing it. That's what the poet finally says. Look, I have no words. I don't even know what to say to you, but just cry out to God. Just melt your heart before God. It's all I know what to do to say to you to do. Just face it with God, right? Not just face it, but with God. Not fake prayers, right? Like, like I, I trust you, Lord, when you don't right now. Don't say it if you don't trust him right now, right? He can handle it. Right? Say, uh, I feel your presence right now. If you don't feel his presence, say that. It's okay. He knows anyway. Right? So don't lie to him. Right? Oh, God, everything you do is good. When right now, you don't think anything is good. Right? That's why Lamentations is a beautiful tool to face it with God, to, to get raw, to just say, why? I, I mean, I, I know up here you're sovereign, Lord, but this doesn't feel that way. Right? To, to, to face it with him. And that will vary on different um, uh, uh, kind of sizes of those holes, those losses, won't it? I mean, I remember uh, a smaller, much smaller kind of loss than we're talking about. But uh, a number of years ago, um, Heather came to me and said, Hey, my dad's selling his house. Why don't we buy it? And we had, our own, we had a home in Douglas at the time. And... I, I was like, first, my first thought was, oh, that driveway. And if you've ever seen my driveway, you know, uphill and yeah, never mind. So, but then I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I just, I'm not someone who likes change very much, right? Um, and it's not because, some people don't like change because their childhood was so much chaos. Me, it's the opposite. Lived in the same house that my mother literally grew up in. And so I think that's my problem. It's like too much stability at times that God gave me. That change is hard. And, and, and I get so attached to things. And I thought this is like where our, our, you know, our first dog and our first, you know, years of marriage and our, our kids, you know, started the process of, of childhood, right? And, you know, but... Heather got away, of course, and it was the right way, and I'm so glad we did it. But at the time, I remember I went outside one night just by myself, and we had this uh, uh, ring of rocks for a, a fire pit. It was the first thing I did when we moved in. We didn't even have grass yet. Um, and, and so I, I lit up a, a little fire because there were so many memories with friends and even myself. I used to, Heather would work 3 to 11, and I would um, 
put the kids to bed, and, and I was kind of had to be home. So I, I'm like, I, don't, I want to get outside. What do I do? So I let up a little fire, bring my book out. I had a lantern. It was kind of pathetic, and I would just sit there. So I just had so many memories, and so I did that. And I remember looking back at our house and weeping, kind of embarrassing to say, but just not because of the house, right, but because of what was going to be lost. And it was going to be a good loss, right? It was going to be actually a good change, and it was for us. But it was like, man, that's where we had so many small groups. We opened our Bibles. We prayed together. We, you know, and, and so as I wept, I prayed, and I said, God, would you favor our next home even more than you did this? And, I, and then I said, God, the next family that moves in, will you bless them that they would know you? And it wasn't a few years later I found out the family there are Christians. And I was like, that's answered prayer. That prayer was answered. So facing loss with God can mean lots of things. It can be thankfulness because of what God has, right? Like graduation for your kid, maybe, you know. And, and that's hard, it's, but it's beautiful at the same time, right? And so maybe it's thankfulness. God, thank you that you, you've blessed him or her with this. But then it's grieving a new phase of life. you got to face it, right? Or then there's the, the bigger ones. You know, I, I've often told the story of when my mom died and I was in the shower several hours later, finally by myself, and the only thing I could say was help God, help, right? One of those, I don't know what to say, right? I, I got nothing. I'm not going to start with a big preamble, right? I just, just help, just look. And, and sometimes that's all you got. And that's facing your loss with God, right? Some, so it could be the thankful prayers or or it just could be those, those really bad theological prayers, right? Like, you're not with me, God. I, I, I don't feel you. I don't think you're here, right? That's not, like, you have my permission to slap anyone who says, actually, in Romans it says, all things work for the good of those. Just don't actually slap them. I didn't give you permission for that. Don't, you didn't hear that. Um, but that's not what we need in that moment. What we need is God just wants us to pour our heart out to him. He will turn us towards the hope of Lamentations 3, right? But first, it starts with facing it, right? Don't avoid it. Don't run from it. Face it with God, right? Because what happens is facing our loss turns us to him. And this, and this is where I, I want us to land, and we're going to practice lamenting like we did last week. Um, I know it's not a really fun exercise, but it's really good for the soul to learn how to do it. And so I, I want us um, to, to bring out this verse again from Matthew. Um, 600 plus years later than Lamentations was written, Jesus was in the middle of a crowd full of desperate, broken, lost people who were sick, who had lots of complaints about the government, way more than we do. It was the Romans, okay? And they were hurting. They had financial problems. They had all, and there they are in this huge crowd, right? And Jesus in the midst of them, you can almost picture his, just kind of him being there. This Middle Eastern man, Jesus, this rabbi, stands up, and he looks at all of these people, and he just says, come to me. Come to 
me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? Rest. This isn't a kind of rest. That's good too. It's resting in him from all of our labors, all of our laments, all of our loss. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember the yoke from last, from Lamentations 1? The yoke of sin that was? Well, Jesus says, I have a yoke for you. If you will come to me, this is a beautiful yoke. There's no burden to this. Because now you're yoked not to your sin, not to your burdens and shame. You're yoked to me. And I take your burdens. And you follow me. And you have rest for your souls. You see, Jesus is the answer to the lament, right? The greatest thy faithfulness we'll see next week is Jesus. And so really where, where we turn is to him. When we face our loss with God, it turns us to Jesus, right? We live in this already, not yet. And, and we're meant to live well. God blesses, and he doesn't just bless Christians. Like, he blesses atheists with common grace, Right? They get to eat a filet mignon and have you know, an awesome dinner with friends and they get to have babies and grandbabies and all of this is from God. These are the blessings of the seasons of life, but they are also going to mean loss is going to happen. And so when that loss happens, right, and when we face it with God, what happens is we recognize that these things, which can be great things, our kids and our people we love and our jobs we love and our homes and all, hobbies, and they're great things, but they won't satisfy our soul. And when we lose them, we recognize that. We can't clutch them anymore. And it hurts, but it turns us not to the temporary, but to the eternal. Not to the temporary comforts and pleasures of this world, but to the eternal riches of Christ. And that's what loss does. Have you ever noticed that's when you grow closer to God, when you lose things? So when we face our loss appropriately, as much as that hurts, it turns us to him. And you know what? We become even more generous with these things because, eh, they're good, but they're not like he is. And we start to see it like the rope of hope, right? That's just green tape. And it's beautiful green tape, but it's still green tape. And he turns our focus on to him as we lament to God, right? And so we find this, this grace in following Jesus, believing Jesus, and walking with Jesus. That's the answer to our loss, is he will turn our focus and our shame, brokenness, loss, our lament. And so maybe tonight for you, it'll be the millionth time you hear him say, come to me, and that's good. Or maybe it'll be the first time. Either way, it's a beautiful thing to in your lament, in your loss, in our loss, to hear Jesus say, come to me. So what I want to do, uh, like I did last week, is I want to um, practice a little bit of lament. And so I'll invite uh, the worship team forward again, and they can get themselves Ready? What I'm going to do, if you were here last week, you kind of know this, but um, the first thing I'm going to do is 
voice for us, corporate lament about things that, that we've lost, and then give you some space to personally give to God. Maybe something you're feeling now, or maybe it's just something in the past that you've just never faced. You've kind of, it's the garbage that's stinking, and you just need to face it with God and just be honest with him. If you're angry, you're angry. If you're, if you're tired, you're tired. If you're, you're ready for this to be gone, tell them, okay? Um, cl- close your eyes as we pray. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we collectively in this room knit our hearts together to lament before you. I pray you'd give us the words, please, Lord. Father, I specifically want to focus on the things that we've all corporately together have lost. We are all feeling it, Lord. We're feeling our loss as a nation. Lord, whatever opinion we might have, we all acknowledge there is such division, angst, and upheaval. And God, we admit there just doesn't seem like there's going to be a good conclusion anywhere near. It seems, Lord, like it's just going to get worse. We feel it. It's hard, God, to have hope for this place. It's hard for us to have a hope in our leaders. It feels hopeless. We bring this loss to you, this angst, this worry, oh God. Father, we bring uh, the, the loss that all of us are experiencing because of this pandemic that has created so much. Father, we all know someone who has lost their life and it hurts. We know people who have lost their health and it worries us. Father, we haven't, many of us haven't seen family or friends. Lord, we feel isolated. Some of us are angry, afraid, and I know all of us are tired. Lord, it feels endless to us. And it seems like nothing good is coming from it. We give this loss to you, God. Loss of finances, job, security, things we took for granted like movies or ball games or gathering with friends. We bring it to you. We don't know what to do or say, but we bring it to you. In Jesus' name. Let's take a minute or so and anything personal, whether it's for what's going on now or something else in your life and just you need to bring it to the Lord.
you can feel free to keep doing that. I don't want to interrupt, but when you're ready, as your eyes are closed, I want you to imagine that you are in that dusty Middle Eastern outside crowd centuries ago. That along with you, there's a crowd of desperate people. All that loss, sin, and shame is with you. Imagine you're there. And you see this Middle Eastern man named Jesus stand up. And you hear these three words. Come to Father, the message is loud and clear that the answer to our loss is Jesus. You sent your only son to come to us, die for us, rise and give us victory so that we can be whole again. Father, have your peace and mercy and love because of Jesus. Lord, I pray for Christians in the room who have already trusted in Jesus and believed in him and know his new life and know his peace but need to hear come to me again tonight. Lord, I pray that they will go to you. Maybe they're running from you, Lord, not walking with you right now. Maybe they're just feeling cold of your thing, the things of God, but they would come to you, Jesus, and know their peace. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are not yet Christians. Maybe they have pretended it, but they've never known or trusted fully in you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. That, Father, they would hear these words, come to me, for you died for them, Jesus. You rose in victory over their sin and their death. And they can live with you in eternity. For the rest of this time, I just ask for you to give this personal space to come to Jesus maybe for the first time or maybe for the millionth time. thank you for saving us. Thank you for this personal space that we can sit quietly before you together. I pray that if we don't already, that you would give us this discipline throughout our week to sit before you, lament, confess, and fix our eyes on Jesus. For you are our hope. We just give this time all the glory to you. In Jesus' name. We're going to worship him. Um, can't think of a better song that Brian picked. It's not about moms eating their children. 
It's about death being arrested. Let's stand and sing.